fair shake. HBO needs to fire you. You know about boxing. You ain't. If everybody leave the room, if everybody leave the room and me and you stay there now, I would walk up. That's and you won't. That's why I see your talker. In, in his time, you know, it's, it's suicide. It's the same with Tony. Suicide. And I was never. I was never focused that it's way. Very, it's for, very, for me, it was, it was never about being the best. I was happy being one of the best. I got, a lot, I got robbed of a gold medal in the Olympics, which really basically f***ed me off. So I had something to prove. When you got something to prove, it makes it, you a different fighter. In my prime, I spanked him. Yeah, yeah. How did he go be as equally talented as me? Are you serious? As easy as I beat him, I could have beat him while playing chuckles on the other side. That's how easy <laughs> that was. Hey guys, and welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport where the knowledge and the pork still are beefing over stuff that we don't quite understand and we wish they'd just kiss and make up. But, you know, that's a longer term plan. You know, meanwhile, Big Russ is out there getting his teeth done and Spencer's figuring out ways to, to take them out. But hopefully this is just fun and posturing for social media and, you know, common common sense will prevail. But I just wanted to... To almost round up the the weekend's boxing because I've had a chance to reflect and speak to a few people about it, and I think it's been it was an interesting interesting weekend. I think that's how you describe it. One of the things I find fascinating is when you work with people from other cultures. They they're fascinated by the fact that we use the word interesting in so many different ways. So something can be interesting in that I have an interest in it. Or something can be, that was interesting. And what we're basically saying is, there's a lot more to it than appears on the surface. So most fans are asking, what happened with the Eubank Jr. fight? And I've had to piece together stuff from various sources, so I'm grateful to them for furnishing me with information. And my understanding is this, and if I'm wrong, I'll hold my hands up. But my understanding is, the medical issue was known on the Friday. The medical issue was known while we went through the process of the weigh-in, right? And I did an episode before, and I think I posed this question. I said, why, why, wasn't, you know, why wasn't there a plan B? So as it turns out, they did try and find a plan B. And it involved moving opponents around, right? So moving opponents around, bringing a couple of guys in for, for other people. It involved shuffling the deck a bit. To, to, to name names I don't think is appropriate or fair, but you can read between the lines. There were names that were moved about and theoretically they thought they had a fight on Friday night. But the board said no to that idea. So then you start saying we might have to take one of the fighters off the card and put them in with Chris Eubank Jr. And what I do know is that proposal was put and... Discussions were had, but it seems like the discussions weren't as collaborative as they should have been in order to get Chris on the card. So, a price was set for someone to move from one fight to the other. And was it a fair price? Probably not, but it's a basis for negotiation. You work backwards from there. You know, principle of anchorage. If I tell you something's worth half a million pounds, even if you say, well, I think it's worth half that. That's still 250K. Maybe more than I would have expected. So, so I understand why you'd want to go into a negotiation, you know, and set your price as high as you can and get the favorable deal. And 
maybe it's a sign of you know relative naivety of the the guys behind Sky, but they sort of buried the deal. And what that did is it probably it did actually cause a lot of damage to the prestige of that card because that card needed Eubank Jr. It was built around Eubank Jr. It was built around him working with Roy. It was built around Roy being in the UK. And to have that taken away from you on Saturday morning, it took a bit of the magic off that card. Now, what's the price on that? 150 grand, 200 grand? Maybe. But now you've got to deliver, number one. Number two, now you've got to find a, an avenue for Eubank Jr. Because my understanding is... Eubank Jr. is unhappy that he didn't get to fight. And what he's saying is I should still be paid because I was ready and willing to able to fulfill the contract. This fight isn't happening because of anything I did. Therefore, give me what is due to me under the terms of the contract. That's why they're trying to find him a, a slot as soon as possible because essentially they have to pay him, is my understanding. From a practical perspective, they have to pay him. But also, if you think about it, it's not cheap having Roy Jones around you for this amount of time. And so Roy has to get paid and that would be the main pressure. I've got to pay Roy. I've got to pay the guys that, you know, that rely on me to deliver an income for them. So I can understand why Eubank Jr. is frustrated. And now the, the mad scramble for an opponent for, I think it's the 16th, will begin. But yeah, I think the... The, the toing and throwing and the shenanigans out the back were, were pretty serious. I, there, was, there, was, there was talk that there were lawyers present or lawyers were instructed, contacted, whatever. But lawyers were definitely hovering around that situation before, obviously, common sense prevailed and Eubank Jr. will fight in two weeks. But these were all things that... Not, you don't really want to hear all of this stuff on your debut. That's the one thing you want to be getting right. And I would have almost paid the premium for it to go off without a hitch. Because to the public, it's just that, yeah, it's a show with one less, one less fight. And actually, it gave opportunities to someone like a Jermaine Brown and even Jamal Ledoux, who managed to get the right kind of visibility for where they are in their careers. But from a commercial perspective, it lost its star power. And so that became a card for the hardcores. And those who wanted to watch Eubank Jr. probably wanted to watch something else. Maybe Matcham had a card on that same night as well. So my tip for anyone is, if you really want to cement your hardcore credentials, get a hotel room at the Wembley Hilton and just be around because <laughs> you'll probably hear all the right kinds of gossip and you'll be able to, to sneak in and you know, hear what's going on. I might even do that for the November 20th one that they've got at Wembley, which looks like it's going to be a good card. So that's Dan Aziz versus Hosea Burton. And... That might be the first time me and Joe Gallagher break bread in person. Can you imagine that? Just the, the best podcast on the planet and maybe one of the best trainers on the planet just breaking bread, you know, hopefully brown bread. I'm not really into white bread anymore. So in terms of the card, um, I'm probably just going to touch on my personal highlights. So just understand that this isn't going to be objective. It's going to be, you know, sort of what I took from the card. First things first, I have to, I spoke quite a lot about him on, on the previous episode. So I've got to talk about Jermaine Brown because he, he was in a fight with Jamal Ledoux that wasn't meant to be televised, actually. And so it, it put him in a really interesting position. Use that word again. So you go from thinking, right, I'm going to fight at, what, 6.30, 7 o'clock, half full arena, nothing I'm not used to, right? And then all of a sudden you're told you're going to be on TV. 
and and that affects everyone. I don't care who you are. When I change the variables you've planned for, that's going to affect you. So one thing I want to give both guys credit for, and you have to, uh, they didn't let it affect them, judging by the performances. The second thing I want to give these guys credit for is coming to fight. And that kind of fight, Jermaine Brown versus Jamal Ledoux, and then I, saw, I sort of tie that in with Dan Aziz versus Andre Sterling, and I say, you can make fights that are competitive for your prospects if you have the appetite to do so. Like, this idea that you need to have 15 fights against Lithuanians and Latvians isn't true. Put guys in in competitive fights and they'll show you what they're made of. And so it proved on Saturday. I thought Jermaine boxed really well. I, it's one of the things I find interesting because I've known Jermaine, oh God, probably as long as he's been boxing. There's a lot of the, the good stuff he picked up from Fitzroy Lodge. So the fundamentals, the balance, the, the ability to keep it long when he needs to. Jab is pretty good. Right hand's pretty good. And what he was also able to show was he can mix it on the inside. Now, was Jermaine Roberto Duran on the inside? No. But do you know what he was? He was a prospect who said, I'm going to bite down. I'm going to stay in the trenches with Jamal Ledoux. And for, for however many rounds, was it five rounds? We're just going to duke it out. And whoever wants this more is going to win. And it was a side of Jermaine I think we all needed to see. And if you, thought, if you thought Jermaine Brown was an easy touch, you now look at that and go, okay, so he's got the mindset to dog it out, which is fantastic. He's only going to get better working with guys like Adam Martin and Mick Guilford, right? He's only going to get better. And when he does, my goodness, he's going to be an absolute nightmare. You know, probably just needs to shorten and crispen up the work on the inside, but I'm being overly critical of what I thought was a good performance. I thought, you know, it won fight of the night deservedly. And I think it brought Jermaine's name to boxing fans who may not have seen him before. And I think that's really good now because you always want to have a strong debut like that because even if he has like a, a two-round blowout in his next fight, at least you know what he's capable of now. So like I said, happy, you know, the Lodge tradition continues and I'd like to see him, let's put him in with Zach Chelly actually. Let's, let, 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 let's bring the story from the amateurs to the pros and say, right, Zach Chelly versus Jermaine Brown. You know, exercising some demons here. Let's see who can do what. I think that would be a good fight. And I think the fans would buy into that because there's genuine enmity between those two. And I think that would be a decent fight. I think just two guys who still have a lot to prove, probably similar stages in their career. Why not make that fight? You know, I know Adam's going to be like, how many hard fights do you want to put him in, Terry? But I genuinely think Jermaine Brown's got the resilience to do this at this point in his career. One of the things I did enjoy about the broadcast on Saturday was they shone some light on Guy Williamson. A lot of people would have watched that, that special on Guy Williamson and gone, who the hell is Guy Williamson? I've had the privilege of knowing Guy since the mid-2000s. So Guy Williamson boxed for Fitzroy Lodge. I think he boxed from like the late 70s. He was a policeman and he boxed there. And I don't, I don't think it got interesting for him until they introduced a 91-plus category because I don't think... Guy being six foot five or six six as he probably was back then, I don't think Guy could have made ninety one kilos, no chance. So he won the ABAs in nineteen eighty five. Um, probably was never going to turn pro. He was 
too old for him. He was a smart guy. He making a good living as a policeman. And then he went on to become a barrister. So I think he works out of Falcon Chambers. And in the time I've known Guy, what a fantastic elder statesman for the sport of boxing and amateur boxing. Just always friendly, always nice, always willing to offer guidance. Like, he's, he's a great ambassador. He's a great role model. He's someone like I'd see probably once a month when he'd come in for the committee meetings. And then on a Saturday, he'd pop in. He'd bring his young lad, who's not into boxing, unfortunately, more into basketball. But he was just a great human being. So to hear that he's vice chairman of the British Boxing Board of Control, I think the view within the sport will be, yeah, he's one of us. You know, because you can trace his roots all the way back. He's, he's, he's a stalwart of the sport. He's still a fan of the sport. Easily the best dressed man in boxing. Like, you never see him looking less than his best. I'm, I am a big fan of his. Got a lot of respect for him as an elder. As a, and I, I hope he can bring some kind of positive energy to the board. I don't know what he can do. Be interesting to find out in due course. But yeah, Guy Williamson's a class act and there isn't a better man to be vice chair of the board than Guy Williamson, in my opinion. So kudos to him and I am happy and I'm proud. And I keep saying it, man, Fitzroy Lodge, we literally get everywhere in the sport. So one of the, one of the sad things about Saturday was not being able to see Joe Pigford. So... I was really intrigued to see what he would do on the stage. Excuse me. Mainly because obviously I know I know the SK4 guys and I think they're a good bunch. So I just wanted to see, you know, what, what work had gone into. And I've I've seen I've seen the clips obviously on social media. And the thing I take away from Joe Pigford is he just looks like one of those guys that's heavy-handed because the lad he was up against seemed to feel the power and just go, You're not paying me enough for this. And if it turns out Joe Pigford has power in both hands, then yeah, I 100% want to see him jump in with guys like Troy Williamson, uh, Kieran, Met- Kieran Conway and so forth. That, that's what we want to see. And I think he's got the power to do it. He's, he's fundamentally sound, like, like most of those guys are 154. So hopefully we can get an opportunity for him as soon as possible. Now, is he at Fowler's level? <sighs> We'd love to find out, that's for sure. And... You know, you got the links from Joe Pigford via Kev to Billum Smith via Shane to Anthony Fowler. So I'd be surprised if they haven't worked together before. And I'd be surprised if the fight's not something that's feasible depending on the outcome of Saturday. The other fight I wanted to talk about was the Mikel Lowell fight, which was on the kind of pre-TV stream. Now... This is what happens when you get inexperienced referees. We can't get it right in this country, can we? We say we need new refs, and you get a new ref and he gets it horribly, horribly wrong. Almost as if he was told, as soon as you see anything untoward, stop the fight. So, Mikel Lowell, comfortable in the fight. Um, the lad is fighting, was it Ube? Was making a fight of it, but you kind of got the feeling it was just a question of when Mikel Lowell detonated on him. So I can't remember, was it the third or the fourth round where Mikel Lowell's detonated a right hand? And, and Ube's kind of, he's reacted all wrong in my eyes. Like, it, it's caught him partly off balance, but he's also quite a bendy guy, so he's absorbed a lot of it using his frame. And the ref jumped in straight away to stop it. Like, they're the stoppages I don't like. Like, if he'd been hit and he'd just fallen back onto the ropes concussed and the ref had jumped in between them, 100% get that. Like, you've seen that with 
uh, who was it that James Tony fought? And he turned his back and Tony started punching him in the back of the head. I can't remember the fight. But you don't want to see those situations. But this, it was premature. And you knew it was premature because the guy looked good to go. Like he didn't look like he was hurt. He looked like he was stunned. But not so much that it required an immediate stoppage. And this is taking nothing away from Mikel Lawal because he landed a couple of brilliant right hands. And I think... I think he's currently trading at a discount. I would put Mikel Lawal in the same company as like a Chris Bim Smith and a Tommy McCarthy right now. He, he's done a lot of his good work quietly and unnoticed. And he suffered from the Dion Juma problem as far as I'm concerned, where once you join the Sowerlands and you're not with a mainstream UK promoter, what happens? You kind of fall off the edge of the world, which is a shame because everyone that spied Mikel Lawal high praise for him and everyone that's fought him seems to speak highly of him too so what we want to see is guys like Mikel Lawal given an opportunity on Sky Boxer get him in with a Jack Massey get him in with a Tommy McCarthy get him in with an Isaac Chamberlain let's of all of these great cruiserweights we have let's kind of get to a, a top eight and be able to rank them comfortably do you know what I was I was really really impressed with with Linus Adolfia's win on Saturday Really, really impressed that because, you know, after the years of propaganda from Martin Theobald, I have literally started to zero in now because I am like, you know, what are the weak links in this guy? You know, where, where, where can you get at him? And um, who was the guy he's fighting? Was it Vironzi? Virenzi? Sorry, I forget his name. But what's really good about Linus is that there's something that he does where and this comes back to where I talk about the psychology of a fight. He does really mundane stuff for most of the round, right? Jab, jab right hand, jab right hand, double jab, double jab, jab to the body. He will do that minute after minute, phase after phase in a round. And then it's almost like he knows at what point he's going to let the right uppercut go, but he's lulled you into a, a feel of how the fight's going to be. He, he, he sets this tempo where it's just quite, quite plodding. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. It's quite predictable. And then the uppercut comes and it's a vicious uppercut. He caught, he caught the lad with it twice. And you're like, oh, okay. And when that uppercut, when that uppercut came through, like then you saw the pace quicken and the hooks would start to come. And then you saw the punch variety. And then he had the discipline to go straight back to it again set that tone, set that tempo, switch it up again. And not many, not many guys in this country do that. So the, the, it points to an intelligence in the ring. So he can make his own decisions in that ring, which I really enjoyed. And, you know, I enjoyed the finish. I think it was the third round where he ripped that uppercut in, um, rocked, rocked his opponent, then just wiped him out with a quick combination. And it was such a serious stoppage. And I'd, if anyone's watched it, you'll see that the, the Italian lad's corner, I'm going to guess he's Italian, they had the towel ready straight away. Why they waited so long, why they let their guy take that much punishment before throwing the towel in, I have no idea. I always find that to be really cruel, especially in a fight that you have no hope of winning. But from, from that first knockdown till they threw the towel, there had to have been like 30 or 40 seconds of just taking punishment. But let's just zero back in on Linus. The, the way he quickened up to finish that fight, like, he moved through two or three gears. Now, that's impressive. Like, I'd never really, like, kind of broken it down in my head how, to, how, how he works. Because 
and you know the small hawk fans will understand this when you see Linus on a small hall show he's boxing within himself mostly and that's why the performances aren't always stellar because I guess he's there going god I'm treading water here but to see the 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 variety the the intelligence the decision making the controlling of the psychology the controlling of the territory of the of the fight and all of these things it fills you with hope and it's interesting that he's now mandatory for Felix Cash's title. Would you put him in with Felix Cash now? No, because I keep telling people Felix Cash is like European level comfortably at the moment. And, and he needs to just be done with the domestic scene because he's been there too long. And then at that point, you have Linus in there with guys like Denzel, Danny Dignam. Uh, I can't even think of who else is kind of moving at middleweight. But I expect Anthony Fowler to be one of those factors at some point soon. I think after Saturday, you won't hear about him doing like middleweight anymore. But no, I, I was impressed. I thought it was, it was good. I thought Linus handled himself really well in fight week. He looks like he's comfortable at that level. Um, made weight easily at 158 pounds. Was engaging. You know, interacted well with the fans. Just looked calm. Looked easy at the weight. Like I saw it the way in the way they had to protect David Avanesti. And like Neil Marsh... Did a fantastic job pulling David Evanesian away from the media commitments because it looked like it took a lot for him to make weight. So them getting him back to a position to rehydrate for, for Saturday's fight was that's good management. So kudos to them and actually just well done to Linus onwards and upwards. So on to the conundrum that's Richard Riakpour because I've known Richard a long time. I like Richard. I think Richard Riakpour has the potential to do great things at cruiserweight, move up and do great things at heavyweight. Now, when you're a young man and you're from the Ellsbury State in southeast London, you know, Elephant and Castle died in the wall, there's a certain mindset you have. You just have to have it because you don't get this far if you don't have it. And we know his story. You know, Adam Smith was grassing on him, you know, just revealing his past misdemeanors. But essentially, Richard's a guy who knows how to go. And we need to see that in the ring. When, when you look like Richard does as a cruiserweight, your opponent's already scared of you. So the idea that you're going to outbox them for 10 rounds, for 12 rounds, you actually give them pleasure. You give them joy. You give them relief. Sometimes what you've got to do, like Tommy Hearns would do, just sit about them. Hurt them with the jab. Boom that right hand. And even if it just hits the shoulder... Let them know how powerful you are. And so when I was watching Rich on Saturday, I didn't see enough of that. He boxed well, and he's been out of the ring for a while, so he's got to feel his way back in. It all looked good, but you're looking at that going, I know you could hurt this guy anytime you want to, Rich. Let those hands go. You know, when you look at someone like Lawrence, as much as people don't like Lawrence's style, you never get the impression... Lawrence is trying to outbox you. You get the impression Lawrence is trying to take you out any way that he can. And I think once we see that from Rich, the money will start flowing into him. Like, the raw materials are there. I think he's, he's good. We've got to give him and Angel a chance to gel, and let's, let's see where that goes. I don't want to cast judgment too soon. Uh, it will be too easy in the current month. And, I, you know, there comes a point where you don't want to be digging people out. Because at the end of the day, Angel's putting his nuts on the line, right? And so we've got to give him time and to say, look, show us what you can do with Rich. But I am looking forward to seeing Rich again because I know the, the killer is in there. 
and it just needs to be released. You know, it's one of the things, well, it's one of the things I have been pondering, and I've been thinking about this a lot. Is it that these new coaches are so inexperienced in terms of their own time in the ring and their own time learning the craft that they don't know how to go after people? So they become risk-averse coaches. So if you look at Ben Davidson and some of the other new guys you see training, a lot of their fighters are more concerned with doing the rounds and being fundamentally sound and doing this and doing that. And they, they never seem able to switch through the gears. So we saw that in the first Fury-Wilder fight. Fury probably could have stopped Wilder at any point up until round six or seven. But he didn't. And he was never given the instruction to do it. And I feel if Freddie Roach had been in the corner, he would have got the instruction to end the fight. And so I think there's a thing that comes with, you've got to have experience of how you can actually take someone out. And you've got to be able to watch a fight round by round and find those opportunities to hurt your opponent and therefore stop them. And I think that comes with experience. That comes with knowing what people react to, knowing what opportunities you can exploit. And that means you have to have exploited opportunities at some point. And I think we've got a, a generation of guys now who it's all very good. It's all very textbook. It's all very, I'm doing this because I saw Emmanuel Stewart do it, but I don't necessarily see the, the ability to create killers. And that's what boxing's missing at the moment. So to the young fighters out there, be careful who you choose to train you because you don't want them making you box more rounds than you need to. I should also give a salute to Ebony Jones for a great debut. I think we saw a lot of what she's about. Tenacious, technically sound. She knows what she's doing in the ring. She's got a bit of pop in her shots as well. Um, should she be at featherweight? My question is that she want to be at featherweight. I'd like to see her come down in weight and make Shannon Courtney noises because that would be a hell of a fight. I, I might be wrong, but I think it would be a fight that Ebony Jones would have her eye on for sure because it's a winnable fight for her. And I enjoyed everything about that. Action packed. She was up against someone who was just so much taller than she was. And she didn't let that be a barrier. And I respect, I just respect that inner tiger in someone to just keep going after their opponent. Always just breaking their will. So there's a lot to come from her. She's been through a lot. And let's not, let's not underestimate as well. That's the impact of being part of the armed forces. It served her well. I'm just, I'm excited by what she can do because I know where she's come from. I think she's one of those female boxers who should get behind. And I think if we get the Shannon Courtney fight, you will see what she's really about. Um, they'll probably give her someone like a Beck Connolly next. And I expect I expect that to be tough. Well, it's tough on Beck. And I and I feel for Beck Connolly because I don't you look at Beck's record and you know, she's always in the away corner. And could you give her an opponent that would make her look good and build her up that way? Yeah, but She's, she's lost so convincingly to so many people that you start to wonder, you know, rematch with Ebony Bridges, yes, but we know Ebony Bridges is, you know, an exercise in marketing and there's nothing wrong with that. I do worry about sustained pressure and the punches, 
these ladies are taking to the head. And when people say you're being sexist, no, I'm not. I look at what's happening in women's rugby and female rugby players having to retire from the sport before they're 30 because the concussions are affected them disproportionately higher than they are the men. So we need to be careful here. And I'm not going to tell her whether she should box or whether she shouldn't box. Not my place. I just want her to be safe and I want her to understand that there are consequences that come with repeated trauma to the head. Do you guys ever watch David Avanessian and wonder why we don't produce guys like David Avanessian in this country? He's, he harks back to a bygone age of kids that used to play outside and kids that used to fight each other in the morning and be friends in the afternoon. Kids who'd do anything for each other. Kids who'd fall out of trees and still be okay. That kind of toughness you only get by putting things on the line, you know. You don't get that toughness in a play group. You don't get that, that toughness from soft play. You don't get that toughness from interpretive dance. You don't get that toughness from being read Alice in Wonderland. You get that toughness from being kids. And from being kids into being teenagers and being adults. And I don't think it's a male-female thing. I think it's just a youth thing. And so when you see David Evanesian coming come to the UK and fighting, in this case, Liam Taylor, you saw that contrast of... Someone who's, who's had it tough, maybe not had it hard, because that's a relative term, but some, someone who's had it tough, someone who's had to fight to get somewhere against a lad who probably just walked into a gym and liked it and sort of hung around. And you can see the difference in class. It was literally like a man against a boy in there. And that doesn't mean Liam Taylor's bad. It just means they're level to the sport for a reason. And I looked at that version of Avanessian and I said, that's why Josh Taylor got pasted. And I don't mean that in a bad way. And that's why Conor Ben looks at David Avanessian with caution. Because you're going to have to take something. Even if you win that, there'll be a part of your soul you'll never get back after fighting David Avanessian. Very few people are the same man afterwards. And you've got to give you you know you've got to give your your tribute to Carl Greaves for guiding him, Neil Marsh for getting ready. I've probably got that in the wrong order, but those two guys unearthed a gem, and I think he could do what Linares did and just be in the UK and just make money off these guys, and then when he's ready, go off to America and make more money off those guys. But good performance doesn't do anything flashy. Is just tough, resilient fit enough to, to be David Avanessian round after round. And what that does is it breaks the opponents down psychologically. You know, you could see as soon as Liam Taylor got hurt, he realized the only way to back this guy off was to hit top gear. And he hadn't planned to do that that early in the fight. And he then, I think he knew deep down the end was nigh. And no matter how brave you are, you know, he was brave. Avanessian was always going to get to him and I thought the ending was the you know ended the right way and now we see what they do with David Avanessian do you do you put him in for a world title shot it's congested at the top of the 147 division I think the Conor Ben fight makes sense I just don't see Eddie Hearn making it unfortunately but it was a good performance overall and probably deservingly topping the bill because it's about time we had you know a real fighter like that topping a bill it's almost like a throwback card isn't it to the days where a fan-friendly fighter topped the bill so the one thing 
having watched the card that, that occupied my mind was, I hope all the fighters on that card, and I'm going to include Harvey Horner, I didn't get to watch his fight. I hope they have a plan for how they move their promotion and marketing up a level. And this is what their managers should be doing, right? I don't know how many people watch that card. Let's just say 120,000 people watch that card. And they probably get similar numbers on, on the YouTube. These fighters should be packaging up their highlights into something that engages fans and engages people wider than boxing, right? Now's the time to start growing your fan base. And I, I put it to boxers like this. This is what I say to every boxer. If you weren't a boxer, what would I know you for? Don't make stuff up. What in your life, in your past, would I know you for? It might be that you used to ride BMX, but I mean, you might, you, you, maybe you skateboarded, maybe you were a half-decent rugby player. And I say, you see, take that stuff there that you're either passionate about or passionate about. Now work out how you can get back into that world and make them interested in what you're currently doing. Because that's how you grow your fan base. You start moving into the adjacent sectors, things that you're credible in, but they're not necessarily boxing. And guys need to start doing that now. You know, if I'm a manager, I want to know who does what for Sky now, who does the marketing, who runs the social media team, who does this, who does that. I want to talk to guys like, like Rubik's Media if they do the filming. Who's filming? I want, I want content. I want content. I want my name mentioned on the platform. I want my name mentioned on the social media. And if you're not doing that as a manager, you're letting your guys down. So now is that time to start pulling that plan together. Don't just do it off the top of your head. And if you're a boxer, ask the question, what's the plan? And if they can't show you a plan, even if it's just on one page of paper, they're, they're winging it. And you don't want that because that's leaving money on the table. You know, so that's probably something for, for you up and coming fighters just to pay attention to. The other thing I wanted to say was, you know, we have to review what the, the Sky Boxer Wasserman product is. There's a lot of Sky stuff. I don't agree with Johnny Nelson being the roving reporter out the back. I think that's what you have Chris Lloyd for, right? No, Chris Lloyd's with the zone. Jesus, sorry. So that's what Chris Lloyd would have done had he stayed with Sky. So I don't know who you get to fill that role, but it can't be Johnny Nelson. Johnny Nelson's an elder statesman of the sport. They need to find someone to do that. Re I don't know why people don't use Richie Gray. I'd love to see Richie Gray do something like that because Richie's a good broadcaster. Um, he's authentic in the sport and he's a very smart, switched-on guy. I'd like to see Richie Gray do something like that. Johnny needs to be front and centre. Like... You need Johnny to just kick the chessboard up in the air every so often. I thought having Froch was good. George, George is all right as a pundit. It, it's not quite, you know, he's not going to get you tweeting about much apart from the, obviously the hair. But I was, I, was, I was okay with that. You know, I think keeping Froch is important. Um, can we swap Laura Woods for Anna Woolhouse, please? Adam Smith, keep Matthew Macklin. Having heard the DAZN product, it had me missing Matt Macklin. So no, Matt Mac Macklin can stay. He's better than Andy Lee. Um, the heat map didn't work for me. I know they try to be clever and say, well, here's it. It just left you confused as to, okay, fine. You've, got, you've given me blue squares and red squares. But I have a feeling that 
both fighters' feet have been in the red spaces and the blue spaces. So this is actually not telling me anything. What would have been really interesting, and I, I tweeted this, if you could have either pressure sensors in the gloves or gyroscopes in kind of in the wrist part of the glove so it doesn't actually impact safety. And then when you, you can have that heat map and then you can say this is where fighter X throws most of his power punches. It might be in the center of the ring, it might be up against the ropes, it might be in the corner. Then we can start to see that. Or what you're able to do is say, in round five, fighter X generated this much force with his punches and this guy generated this much. And then when the fight's done, you can look back and go, well, actually, that guy didn't throw any power punches in the fight. You know, it gives you that added level of insight. So my, my thing with data is always, you can give me data, but number one, I need a comparator. So what am I comparing this data with? Take a football heat map. Um, if you look at a Reese James heat map, it's easy because I know Reese James is meant to be a right back. So if most of his heat is in the right winger spot, I can say he's out of position. Now, why is he out of position? He might be out of position because his team is so dominant or he might be out of position because he's clueless. We don't know. But at least I've got something to compare it to, which then forces me to ask questions. We didn't have that with the heat map. It didn't leave me asking any questions. So it's a good start. And I'd like to see Sky build on that and then give us that added layer of detail that says, okay, here's where most of the fight's happening. Here's where most of the heavy punches are being thrown. Here's who's throwing most of those punches. And we speculate that they're mostly uppercuts and they're mostly right hooks. Now we can start to, you know, have a real data-driven conversation. But until we get to that point, I don't think the heat map works for me. Everything else was kind of as we expected. The backstage stuff, the, the shoulder content that we're starting to see. I don't think it's a matchroom thing. I think that's just where sport's headed anyway. And it's not like Sky haven't done that before. I think this is driven more by BT than anything else. I think BT have raised the bar in terms of how you broadcast boxing. So kudos to BT for that. But overall, it was just... How can I put it? It was an enjoyable card. I'm hoping they get better. And I can't wait for November 20th. I think that's going to be a stronger card. And hopefully by then they'll have had their act together. So, yeah. In terms of that, I hope you guys also enjoyed it. I think we need to keep supporting Sky because that's really the home of British boxing. And a thriving Sky is a thriving boxing market. So don't, don't start slipping off to the competition or anything like that. Stay loyal to Sky, guys. I'm going to sign off on that point there. I just wanted to give a quick summary of you know, what I thought was a good card. Room for improvement, but it's a good start. So you take care. Bye. good husband you know what I mean what you know what I mean? I'm just a man out here trying to enjoy my I, I was born poor I ain't never had nothing man. I don't know how to act all right but the real thing is I'm just I'm just here to be me I don't care what uh, you, you know what I am or who, who anyone thinks I am um at this stage of my life but um yeah I'm a pretty much of a tyrant titan yeah that's who I am